Perhaps you don't find this time of year rather confusing. But I think it is a confusing time of year. We just imagine for a moment, and I know it's a stretch of your imagination, that someone comes to our country from some land where they've never heard the name of Jesus Christ, when there is absolutely nothing celebrated about the 25th of December, there is no extra fuss or trouble. They have been cut off from all of those things. Imagine them landing in the middle of our country uh, and looking around them. Think about what they would feel. Surely it would be utter confusion because what they would see in one hand would be a lot of frenzied activity. Lots of people going to all kinds of get-togethers and parties where food and drink flow freely and where sadly there's much overindulgence. And they would think to themselves, these people are really living it up in the world. But then they might observe those who are left as lonely, those who have nobody to care for them, and who are finding life difficult. And they would wonder what's going on here. Some people have lots, others have little. But then add into that that they hear someone singing some Christmas song about the coming of a baby, Jesus. And they would begin to think, well, what's that about? Imagine them then following through some of the scripture readings and deciding, let me read the Bible. And then imagine them looking out at all that they see and coming to scripture and thinking, there is something wrong here. Because the Bible, if this is the Jesus that they're talking about, what is happening in the world bears no resemblance to the Christ of the Scripture. It doesn't tell us to celebrate His birth. Rather, it tells us to follow Him and to serve and to honor Him. In fact, some of the things that are passing for what is celebration, Jesus Christ would be completely uh, saying it's wrong, it's sinful. Some of the things that are going on, in fact, are the very denial of the coming of a Messiah. So what is it all about? And perhaps that person would meet a Christian who maybe takes Christmas less seriously as all the commercialism of it, And he explains to him, well, we're celebrating the birth of our Savior, the one who died on the cross, who came as king for us. That's what it's about. And this question would be, why did Jesus come? That's the question we are going to answer today as we look at Genesis chapter 11. Now you may think this is a strange place to begin to think about why did Jesus come? But in Genesis chapter 11, there are reasons given there, uh, uh, the very reverse, uh, things that Jesus came to reverse. The Messiah came in response 
to God's love and to draw his people to himself. The very reverse of what we see here in Genesis chapter 11 where we see man and his pride and arrogance and as a result God having to deal with them, scattering them, changing their language and so forth. So let us think about why Jesus did come. Remember he came not just to be in the manger. That's the, that's the great problem with so many people in the world. Jesus is still in the manger. He's still the baby. He has never grown up. He has never suffered and died on the cross. He has never risen from the dead. They like to keep that little warm feeling of the little baby Jesus. Friends, he grew up. He lived his life for you. He died for you. Why? He did it because he came to fulfill the promise. And that's what we see as we turn to Genesis chapter 11. That's what this, verse, these chapter, this chapter is about, especially as it plots the course from Shem to Abraham. That's why, partly why these verses are there. The Holy Spirit uses Moses to record these things because this is the determinate will of God that a Messiah will come. Someone who will change round the stuff that's gone bad in the world and bring better days. And so we have Shem's family and all the list of his descendants from right down to Terah, the father of Abraham. And that leads us, of course, from Abraham into the whole story of his family through to uh, Isaac, Jacob, Esau, and of course Jacob, Israel, and out of Israel, Jesus. That's why Jesus came, because he was promised, and because the whole of Scripture is pointing to him as the one who would come as the Lord of glory. And these verses are a stage in the continuing unfolding of the coming of the Messiah, of which we read in the New Testament, in Luke chapter 2 and other places. He came, born of the woman, born of, overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. How can we say that there is so much encouragement in a list of names here in Genesis chapter 11 from verse of all this genealogy. But I want you to take courage and encouragement from it because back in chapter 5, whenever we had the genealogy from Adam to Noah, what was the recurring theme? Well, the recurring theme, let me remind you, was and he died. And he died. In chapter 5, the, the word is emphasizing man's spiritual death separated from God because of sin. And then we have their wickedness and the flood and then Noah, the Savior. And then in, through Noah and his family continued wickedness. But here, what do we have? Not, and he died, but it simply leaves it, and they each had other sons 
and daughters. It doesn't tell us they died. Now, they did die, but the emphasis is on life. The emphasis here is on life, and especially on the life that would come through Abraham from Terah, the one who would be the Messiah to bring glory to God. And so Jesus came to fulfill the very promise that we have here of the one who would take away all the problems, who would deal with man's greatest need. Secondly, when we think about this, why did Jesus come? Well, he came to be Lord. He came to be Lord. Is he Lord of your life? Does he rule you? You see, here in Genesis chapter 11, what we find is that people were doing the wrong thing. They moved eastward and they found the plain of Shinar where they settled. And settlement brought them together. They had one language, they were in common, but it is their attitude that is wrong. You see, God had commanded them to go into all, to to fill the earth. They were to move out and away and to fill the whole world. They were to multiply and increase. But here there's a settlement and a coming together and a making of name for themselves. We think of what is spoken here by them. Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. You see, man is here deciding for himself that he would be Lord. In fact, there's not so much difference to what's happening here as happened back in Genesis in the Garden of Eden. When Eve was tempted by the devil, you will be like God. And she saw the fruit and it was good. And she fell into the Satan's trap. We will be like God. And that's what the people here are doing. We'll be like God. We'll build a tower up into the heavens. We'll be up there with God. We'll be like Him. We will reach God by our own efforts. That's man's thinking. I will be Lord of my own life is what this effectively is saying of man. And yet, man is renowned for wickedness. It is in this age, of course, that we have the Nimrods and so on. Men and women of violence. How is this ever going to become together? Who is going to be the leader? The person who takes on leadership. The person who thinks too much of themselves and lords it over others. And others, in their weakness, perhaps allow them to do that. But they want to make a name for themselves. Friends, that's the sin of every heart. We want to be Lord over our own lives without interference from anyone or any other. So often people want to make a name for themselves. It is the sin of displacing God with self on the throne of the heart. 
And that's what the way the world lives. We don't have to look very far to find evidence of this. Listen to the radio or television about people and their sport or people in some other area of business and why do they want to do so well? They want to leave a legacy. Their name. People names on buildings so that they can make a name for themselves. And that even has crept into the church. People think that they can leave a name for themselves in some memorial in that way. And, and while that has been done, it's not. It, it is, there's a selfishness about it. It's lack of lordship of Christ. Jesus came humbly. He was born into a little stable. He was born to a family that were nobodies. He came to be king and lord of your life because he lived the perfect life for you. He suffered and died on the cross for you. He came to lord it over your life and to fill the void in your soul that is Christ-shaped. And only he can do it. And he came, therefore, to reverse what was going on here in Genesis 11. He came to be the Lord and Master of all. And the person who doesn't accept Jesus Christ as their Lord is dead and will die the second death and be cast out from his presence forever. That's the reality. Jesus Christ came to be your Lord and Savior. Have you opened your heart to him? Are you allowing him to dictate what is your priority? And your priority, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, is his worship, his glory, his honor in every way. The place of worship should never be forsaken because here we come together to glorify Him as our Lord and our God who directs our lives, who is the one who has given us every good and perfect gift. In Genesis 11, it says, We will be like God. Let's build this great tower. We will be Lord. And sadly, that's, even with some Christians, that's the way they live. And Christ only has a little input. Friends, he must be everything or nothing. So Jesus came to be Lord of your life. Thirdly, Jesus came to give us a true and common language. He came to give us a true and a common language. Here we find in Genesis 11 that God comes down and he views what's going on. So discouraging for him, putting it into human terms. The Lord wanted these people to be worshipping him, to see God, their creator, as the one to whom they bring every response. But here they are wanting to be like God. And he recognizes that if they are allowed to continue in their present way, nothing will be impossible. God doesn't mean that they'll be able to do absolutely everything, but what that really means is that no sin 
will, will be uh, outside their capability. That they will fall so far away. God will be pushed completely out. And they'll never have any need of God if they maintain that unity and that common language in their broken, sinful state with man on the throne of his own heart. God will be cast out completely and utterly. They'll have no need of God. They will be able to do whatever they want. Their wickedness will know no bounds. There's an interesting picture here as we read in Genesis 11. Uh, The people are building a tower up to God. They think it's a great tower. It might have been quite a height. We're not quite sure, but it wasn't that high. But then we read this. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the man were building. And that language is full of coming down. The the men thought they could reach up to God. But God is so high and mighty, he came down. And if you can imagine your child on the floor playing with something like Lego and building up a tower, and they say, Daddy, it reaches up to you. Or, Mummy, look how high it is. And to really see how high it is, you need to get right down on your knees and put your head right down to see the little tower that they've built. It's small. It's, it's puny. And that's what God said. The tower that men have built, it's puny. It's nothing. It's useless. And God is coming down, down, down to their level to see it. And he sees their wickedness. And he says to himself, I'm going to confuse their language. Because if I don't, they'll see no need of me. They'll fall into deeper wickedness. If as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan, no wickedness will be impossible for them. So let us come down and confuse their language so that they will not understand. That's why we have languages across the globe. And we are confused. At least if I go to another country with another language, I would be mightily confused. Of course, people in England can be very confused by people from our district and locality. We speak the same language, but it's not a common language. And sometimes they look at you What are you talking about? Because we use phrases and terms of language they don't know. So there's confusion. But there's confusion in the languages of the world. If you drop me into Portugal or Spain with nobody to speak English, how lost we would be. Confusion. Jesus Christ came to bring a common language. And what did he do? How did that come about? Well, we have to go to Pentecost, don't we? And there we see just a little of it. By the Spirit of God, the apostles spoke the languages of the people there. And the people from all over the place, all over the world, what did they say? We hear the Word of God. We hear these people speaking in our language. By the power of the Holy Spirit, the risen Christ had given a common language. 
And that is little, little taste of the heaven that will be ours. When we're drawn into heaven, there will be one common tongue. We will understand everybody. And that will be a great thing. That we in glory will hear the French believers. And the Portuguese believers. And the Spanish believers. And those from Asia and their Chinese. And all the dialects that we find in India. And we will hear them and understand every word. Because there will be one language. How that will work we don't know. But there will be common language. We will hear everyone and know they are rejoicing in the Saviour Jesus Christ. Because we will join together to sing his praise. There is a sense of course in which we will have common lang- do have common language even today. When we go to another country we go to the people of God and worship with them, there's a oneness. The name of Jesus draws us. And in our common spiritual language is glory to God the Father and honor to his name. That's why Jesus came. This is why it is good, not just at this time of year, but at all times to celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ as our Lord. For he came give us a common tongue and associated with that he came to gather his people as one here in Genesis chapter 11 because of man's arrogance they're scattered God says I'm going to scatter you in fact it was part of the the languages when they couldn't understand each other you can just imagine well and it still happens people gather into their own language groups That's one of the things that happens. If you go to a place like London, there will be churches and they speak, they they worship in a foreign language, some other, their language. It gathers people from that locality. It's not the best picture of church for the kingdom. We are gathered as one. As the scattered here, they moved out. They went away from Shinar. They, they, They were moved to do what God wanted them to do, which was to populate the whole earth. And be people of the whole world. Jesus Christ came to do the very opposite. He came to gather us into one united body of God's people, His kingdom. No longer babbling in languages we will not understand, but with a common tongue. What great grace there was even as God dealt with the people in Genesis 11 scattering them because it caused them to realize there's a God. We we are going to need help if we're going to live together. They realized they would need a mighty Lord. And today as the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed in every corner of the world in all kinds of different languages People are being drawn into the kingdom of God. And as I said, when you go to another country, you find a believer, you're at one with them. We are one. There's nothing separates us. What a joy that is. And if that's the case, while we are the kingdom of God on earth, that will be fulfilled even more so when we enter the glory of heaven. We will know then the extent of the kingdom of God. 
we will enter in to that kingdom and rejoice with a multitude and variety of believers from every corner of the globe. There will be people there converted out of every sect and every language and every little grouping in the world. And all as one in Christ Jesus. Gathered. We were singing that psalm. Gathering of the kingdoms. The gathering of the people. That's what Jesus came to do. To gather his people under his lordship for the glory of his name. And so we are to go out and preach the gospel to all nations. Because it is Christ's purpose. It is he who was born of Mary. It's his purpose to draw people from every quarter and every corner of the world so we could exalt his name. So that you and I, in common with everyone who believes, might give glory to Jesus. That we might shout, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Jesus Christ came to bring us together. He did that through the shedding of his blood. Sadly, that aspect of his life is almost completely forgotten by many who celebrate his birth. They seem to forget that he came to live and he came to die for sinners. And he did that because he came that we might be a united people under his power to bring glory to his name. So we've been looking at Genesis 11. It's a passage that shows man's arrogance and ignorance, but it brings us to this great truth. Jesus Christ came to fulfill the very promise given here that there would be a Messiah. God is plotting the course from Adam to Christ in the Old Testament. And Genesis 11 is part of that. Shem, through all the generations to Terah and to Abraham. What wonderful promise. He came to be Lord. He came to be Lord of your life, to lead you, to save you from your sin, to direct you. That's why he suffered and died. So may you allow him and ask him to be Lord and to follow and serve him. And we will do that unitedly in Christ, in common with all who believe. And we'll have a common tongue. It'll be the tongue that speaks of righteousness and of the holiness of God. And in eternity we will dwell with him forever.